Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Recently, The Quickie did a story about the effect of lockdown on people who are single. Just hoping that my cat falls asleep next to my leg tonight so I can once again experience the warm touch of another living being. It's fine, it's shit, it's fine, it's help. <laughs> help me. And it inspired a friend of The Quickie, Joe from Adelaide, to ask this question. I'm intrigued about the impact on the lockdown on young children. How does limited social contact affect toddlers and preschoolers? Does it create gaps in their social development or can these needs still be met with changes in social interactions such as video calls? For those kids still in lockdown and those who've experienced it across the country this year, we find out what long-term effects keeping our kids at home may have on their future. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. We live in the CBD of Melbourne. I live with my husband and two small children. So I have a five-and-a-half-year-old preppy and I have a two-and-a-half-year-old both little girls. My husband is work from home five days a week and I'm working, I've got it down to two days a week, but I've spread that at nights. It's a small living space that we have. It's a little two bedroom apartment. Somehow my husband does all his work from the desk in the middle of the kitchen living room. And yeah, we just make it work, I guess. We're sort of surprisingly doing, I think, pretty well, enjoying the city's parks, that's for sure. (laughs) That's Melbourne mum Heather. She's been in lockdown with her two young children in an apartment for weeks now. She says they're doing the best they can with the situation they've found themselves in, but she has her concerns about how this is all impacting her kids. It's definitely a lack of socialisation. Like, you hear that a lot when kids are going into primary school is whether they're socially well-adjusted and and that's part of getting ready for school. So my five-and-a-half-year-old Viv is, you know, a real social kid and she craves her friends. And the same with the two-and-a-half-year-old as well. Like she misses her friends so much and her childcare educators a heap. With my five-year-old like the, she stays up later at night in her bed. She's reading, but she's definitely staying up way later. You know, the sign of it is definitely within a wee regression. So day and night, you know, when things are changing, so we try and keep them informed. But 
with every change, you know, it kind of sets her back a little bit and she shows it through that regression. With the two-and-a-half-year-old Genevieve, it's sort of a real clinginess to me. We saw that really at the start and it's not as bad and she's actually settled into the second phase of lockdown a lot better, but just that sort of real attachment has come through on her. What are you most looking forward to doing with your kids when this is over? Uh, Just being able to... um, Gosh, it's kind of like that's a a big question because it's seeing them go and be their normal selves and feel free. I think so many grandparents out there are, you know, beside themselves with not being able to see their grandchildren ours included. So getting them back, seeing those family again in real life is something we're going to really treasure. And she's not alone. Adelaide mum Jo sent us an email saying she's also had her worries about how keeping kids at home will affect them down the track. I'm a parent of a preschooler and luckily I live in South Australia, which considering other places has not been impacted as greatly. Often conversations turn to how parents are coping, but I wonder what impact this will have on children. Karen Young is a child psychologist who's been creating resources to help kids navigate the pandemic and other recent major events like bushfires. Karen, how does limited social interaction affect children? I think it will be affecting the older ones more because adolescence is a time where they really do turn towards their peers. The younger ones, some of them will feel it, some of them will be okay with it, but it is that way for the older ones as well. So any way we can connect them, we used to cringe at technology because it got in the way of connection, but now we are really turning towards it and need to let them connect how, however they can, whether it's through their phones or through FaceTime or, or Zoom or because it is important for them. Now, we know that face-to-face interaction isn't going to be replaced by video chats mm. or the experience isn't replaced by that, but is it effective communicating via FaceTime or video chats or any of those kind of channels? Absolutely. Any way they can connect is going to be a good thing. And if we go right back to we used to do it through letters before we had Zoom or before we had anything where we could see ourselves so any way we connect, and of course, being in person, face-to-face, nothing's going to replace that. But absolutely, if we can connect, even if it's through a text, through any way we can, it's going to be important. It's that sense of being with someone or present with someone, and we can do that virtually. Now, you've said that this will affect older children more than younger children, but mm. will the development of younger children be affected, you think, by lockdown, not so much maybe by the social interaction, but maybe the anxiety that something like a pandemic brings on? What kind of feelings might be affected in all of this? Yeah, so they are likely to be more anxious because the way anxiety works is it takes the experiences that we go through and it stores them as a record and our brain is constantly saying, is this safe, is this safe, is this safe? And it's referring to our memories and experiences for guidance. Now, we've told kids, we've given a really clear message that it's not safe to go out there, it's not safe to touch other people. And we did that for a really good reason. We need to remember that. Then 
one day we're going to say, okay, off you go now, go back out there. Now, there will be some hangover because the brain doesn't let go of its danger cues easily and we don't want it to. And anything that comes with that big emotional experience, which this is, will stay for longer. It'll be more enduring. But that's okay. This isn't going to cause them long-term damage. The way the brain relearns is through exposure to those experiences ending safely. So we might see for a while at school, they're coming home and they're showing big anxiety after school or big tantrums or big tears. Or we might see that they're really resistant about going to school where they weren't once before. That's okay. The more they go and actually get through it, the more the brain will let go of those danger cues. So it's not going to be a long-term thing for them. What about little, little kids? I have been reading some stories about new parents whose babies have at this point never interacted with other babies or small children who haven't had an opportunity Mm. to really interact with other little children much at all in their young lives. Will that have an effect on them down the track if they miss out on interacting with other kids at a very young age? No, no. The most important thing for little, little ones is that responsive, engaged interaction with at least one important adult in their lives. So kids learn how to interact with many and how to be brave with many and get on with many when they experience that with one. So as long as they have a parent or someone full-time, if parents are working, it might be a grandparent who is engaged, responsive, attentive, talking a lot. We have to talk a lot even if they don't always understand what we're saying. That's what they need. The rest of it will come, but what we're doing is building those really strong foundations in the brain and we do it with that engaged, responsive, attentive adult first. So those kids will be okay too. What do we start telling our kids when we do send them back out into the big wide world that we've told them for a short period of time is quite scary? How do we talk them through that transition? So first of all, we have to acknowledge what they're going to be feeling. So we say, you know, it's really understandable that you might feel a bit worried or a bit funny about going out there because we've been talking about how it's not safe to go out there and that's why we've stayed at home. That's really understandable. So we have to acknowledge that and validate that. Then we point out the differences between now and then. So it might be we are really on top of however you've described it, if you've described it as a virus, People have been learning about this, they've been working really hard to protect us and I trust them and they've done a really good job. So it's safe now to go to school, it's safe to go out there and people are taking care of us. Your teachers have got this, they know exactly what to do. The adults around us are looking after us and they know exactly what to do. So we point out the differences. Before there were lots of people who had the virus and it was really easy to catch, now there's not because their brain with anxiety will focus on what's the same, we need to tilt them back towards the differences. And that's how we feel safe. And it doesn't mean they'll believe it straight away because the brain actually only learns from experience. So they have to experience going to school or going out there and and coming back safely before the brain goes, okay, then I'm going to let this go. I can see that this is okay now. There are also worries about keeping children in smaller homes and apartments, that the limited space is going to have an impact on a child's development. Well, yes, it will. 
but not in the way you might think. Professor Mike Dockery is a Principal Researcher Fellow at the Bankwest Curtin Economic Centre. Mike, tell us what your research has found in relation to children living in smaller spaces. Basically what we found is there's a lot of concern in Australia about what generally is called crowding or overcrowding in households, but actually very little empirical evidence of this sort of perception of a widespread problem. And I had a number of longitudinal data sets where we could track children over time and and also look at the housing conditions they live in. And when I put in measures of of what's called crowding, but really it's density, it's it's number of people in the house or number of people per bedroom, what we actually found is, is by and large positive effects on children's outcomes. So this is physical health, mental health, social and emotional development. So what I surmise from the empirical results is that kids actually don't live in housing that's too crowded. They live in houses that are too empty. Because, you know, what the data is telling us is, is is where there's more people, the children actually have better outcomes. In Australia, they use a number of different standards of what constitutes sort of like appropriate housing or, or to measure crowding. And generally, they, they allow, for example, a couple to share a bedroom and or kids to share a bedroom, but older adults to have a single bedroom. And by these standards, 94% of children live in homes that have enough bedrooms. So there's only a very small percentage that have, you know, housing where there's a lack of bedrooms. And in fact, 70% of kids live in households where there's enough bedrooms for everybody. So certainly, by and large, kids just don't live in houses that are crowded. But even at those levels, the data suggests that more people actually lead to better outcomes. The only explanation I can find, and I'm open to other people to challenge this and have alternative explanations, but is that, you know, kids are too often in their own bedroom, you know, not interacting, not enough shared space, not enough room for play. We'd be better off with, you know, smaller houses, uh, fewer bedrooms and more shared living spaces and backyards. There is other research to show that in neighbourhoods where there's more backyard as opposed to houses, then kids actually have better emotional development. There are kids who may have been dealing with a challenging home life before COVID-19 hit, lockdowns forcing them into a a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week unhealthy situation. For them, the impact may be greater. But for the majority of Aussie kids, Karen says she doesn't believe they'll carry the scars of COVID-19 into the future with them. I absolutely don't. I think we will have a really resilient next generation that have been through a lot. But all through history, generations have been through things and they get through it. And certainly this is an enormous thing. Where it falls to is the adults around them to help them feel safe again. And they will be okay. They will come through this. Resilient, brave, strong, powerful people don't come from wrinkle-free lives. So no, I don't see that there will be long-term effects. I see there'll be short-term effects. I think there'll be more anxiety. Um, We might see more big behaviour. There'll be more of that. But again, we can respond to that as well. That's all for The Quickie today. This episode was produced by Melanie Tate with audio production by Jacob Round. And if you're looking for some more friends to help get you through child-rearing rough spots, check in with Lee Campbell and Tegan Natoli, hosts of This Glorious Mess Little Kids podcast. Last week, they explored the myths around fostering babies in Australia, and it was just wonderful. Check out This Glorious Mess Little Kids in your podcast app now. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. 
we pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.